Well, welcome to Freedom Village Church. Using two mics. Man, I'm out of it. Goodness gracious. Let me just step down and put this mic over here. Because I only need one mic. I might need no mic. My, mic. my voice actually projects pretty good. Okay, stop talking about that. Well, welcome to Freedom Village Church. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I have the privilege of being the family pastor here at Freedom Village Church. I'm, I'm Levi. Um, and welcome. I'm excited to be here. Um, I hope you are too. I hope you, you come to our church service expecting God to, to speak to you, expecting um, God to do amazing things. Bless your life. Um, bless those around you. Um, and, and also welcome to those of us that are watching online. I know some of us are still traveling and with family, so welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're tuning in. If you're new today, uh, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, if you are new, there's a, we're going to talk about this later, but there's a newcomers meeting after service. Uh, we want to get to know you. Uh, we want to welcome you here uh, even more. So, so you can come to that newcomers right after service downstairs. Uh, so welcome. Um, today, I'm especially excited because we are in... Um, the book of Haggai. Um, and if you're asking yourself, well, what is that? It's a book in the Bible. It's a very small one uh, in the Old Testament. But I'm excited about it because, uh, um, well, Scripture is amazing. <laughs> because the, the overall storyline, right, redemptive history, can really be, okay, maybe not every single bit of it, uh, but at least the story of the gospel, the message of God redeeming his people through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and we put our faith in him, right, that relationship that was once scarred can be renewed. That message of the gospel can be understood by a child. Um, however, scripture is also written in such a way where you could be studying it for your whole life. Uh, you can be an elderly uh, gentleman or, or, or lady and still be gaining insight, still be gaining application from the word of God, right? That's the beauty of God's word. And why I think it's so exciting, the book of Haggai is so exciting, is because it's maybe easy to look over, possibly, right? Um, it, it's, it's one page in your Bible. It's two chapters uh, within the big volume that is the Old Testament. Um, so, so I'm so excited for this. Um, I remember the first time I read the book of Haggai. Um, I was in college. Shame on me. Um, I grew up in a Christian school, grew up in a Christian church, but the first time I read for myself the book of Haggai was in college. And I remember the first time I read it. It wasn't the last time I read it, but I remember the first time I read it, and um, it, it, was, it was in a class on the minor prophets, so it wasn't even my own individual, I'm going to read the book of Haggai, right? It was in a class, a uh, class on the minor prophets. And I remember I was a back row boy, so I was sitting up in the back, and I remember the professor was teaching from the book of Haggai, um, and all I could think about was, wow, like, I've heard of the book of Haggai, but he's just expounding all this applicable truth, all this powerful truth about who God is and what he wants from us, from this, what I thought was insignificant book, um, really just highlighting the beauty of scripture, what we can get out of it. Um, so, and actually, that class, that I remember the day, it was, he was teaching on Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, which is what we're doing next week. Uh, and I felt a tug that I believe today from the Holy Spirit to be a call to ministry. Um, so it, it was this, this book in particular is special to me. Uh, so I'm excited uh, to dig into it with you today. Hopefully we can discover a lot of new things together um, from the book of Haggai. I, I'm so excited. Um, so let's pray. And then we'll get going. Let's pray. Um, Father God, we pray that well, we understand and we know that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You're above all things. May you have your way with us today. God, may you be put in your proper place 
in our hearts and in our minds. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Charles Spurgeon, um, the great theologian and teacher of the 19th century, uh, he once said this. uh, One of the greatest rewards for serving God is the permission to continue to do so. And we read in in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. In fact, we talked about this in youth this morning a little bit. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes, All things were created through him, meaning Jesus Christ, created through Jesus Christ, and all things were created for him. So, so, So what that means is that Jesus Christ is our source and he's our purpose. So so innate to our DNA, who we are, really, um, is this innate purpose to serve, to work for, to love, to glorify God. That's who we are. We were made to do that. And when we live in that purpose, there is fulfillment. Because we understand what Christ has done for us. We want to serve him. We love to serve him. We want our Father to be pleased, right? So, so, So with that in mind... We also consider that the Great Commission, Matthew 28, is our commission as well, to go and make disciples. And, and the commission is the same, even though our contexts are different. You might be a teacher at YIS. Your commission, your, your command is to go and make disciples. You might be on staff at SFS. The command is to go and make disciples. You, you might be serving here at Freedom Village. The command is to go and make disciples. No matter the occupation, if it's finance, if it's business, if it's law, uh, the commission is to go and make disciples. And I think it's a good and a helpful time, especially in the summer, um, where some of us are, are, are experiencing some form of rest. Um, maybe, maybe some of us are still at home traveling. Uh, some of us here, maybe business is a bit slower during the summer. I know here at Freedom Village, things tend to be a little bit slower. And I think it's a good time for us to step back uh, and evaluate what does God want from us as we work for him? Or... How can we work more effectively for him? How can we produce more fruit as we serve him? And this, you don't necessarily have to be in full-time ministry for this to be the case, right? How do I effectively minister to the person sitting next to me? How do I effectively minister to my spouse, to my children, to my friends, to my coworkers, to people I meet at church? Or in other words, what are some foundations for kingdom work? That's where we're going in the next four weeks because in the book of Haggai, uh, I believe that it gives us foundations for kingdom work. And specifically today in Haggai chapter 1, this is what we're going to learn. Spoiler alert, this is it. Haggai chapter 1. Our work and efforts are to be aimed at God's purposes and calling. It's very simple. Uh, His work should be our priority. And when our priorities are set in the proper place, God blesses our labor in him. So God's work is to be our priority. And when our priorities are set in their proper place, God blesses our labor in him. So if you will, open up to the book of Haggai. What helps me um, is I I go to the book of Matthew and I flip back a little bit. Um, I, I know you're all experienced believers and you know where the book of Haggai is. You're rolling your eyes. I know where Haggai is, but... Helps me, anyway. It's a very small book, easy to miss. We've read already the text today, but but I want 
uh, hopefully to lay a pretty decent foundation for us as we go into this book um, uh, that, that I hope will be helpful. One of, the most, one of the most common themes you'll see in the Old Testament is the people of Israel continuously acting like they're not the people of Israel. And it happens over and over again. And in fact, you, you get to the ten plagues, right? So the people are, 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 in, are enslaved in Egypt, and then God sends these ten plagues to convince Pharaoh to release them. I mean, there's fire from, from the skies, there's darkness, there's plague, there's frogs, right? All these different things happening, and yet an alarm. No, it's fine. It's fine. Is that a plague? I don't know. No. No, it's fine. All these different things happening, and, and yet, so, so you expect from the Israel people, wow, there's going to be this repentance, there's going to be this turnaround, and then, I mean, God, the, the Red Sea, you know the Red Sea, right? They cross the Red Sea, oh, we're hungry. It's like, man, like God just did all that, and you forget what he just did. And this doesn't just happen once, it happens again and again. They get to the promised land, and then they look in the promised land, they're like, man, they big, they're so big. And it's like, well, these two guys, they had it right, but the other ten didn't, right? And this is a recurring theme. Then they're like, well, we want a king. And God's like, well, I'm doing a pretty good job. He's like, no, we want like a human king, like, like the other nations? Yeah. He's like, all right, I'll give you Saul. It's like, okay, we got Saul. Well, he's terrible. So then it's like, well, what about David? He's a good king, right? He, he becomes a good king. And then after David, there's, there's Solomon, and Solomon's uh, pretty good, and he, he, he erects this very nice temple to the Lord, right? Eventually, we get this, this beautiful temple. And then after that, there's some good kings, but mostly bad kings. They're doing terrible things. There's a lot of idolatry. And then we look back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses writes something uh, that's going to be helpful for us today, I think. God through Moses, of course. He says this. God says this to the people of Israel, understanding their propensity to continue to look like other nations instead of the nation that belongs to God. God says this in Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you continue to turn to false idols, you will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This is God's promise. And we know that God is faithful to his promises. So eventually down the line, we get good, some good kings, mostly bad kings. They're being extremely idolatrous. In fact, the kingdom divides, right? You got Israel, you got Judah, and then more bad kings, more bad kings. God says, okay, you want to be like the other nations? I'll take you to the other nations. You want to worship their idols? I'll give you their idols. He leaves them to their desires, and then he sends Babylon to come and capture the nation of Judah. And they're in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. 70 years they're in Babylonian captivity. And during that captivity, um, the, Babylon, the Babylonians, they were pretty, pretty reckless. They were pretty awful. But the Persians conquered Babylon. So now instead of the Babylonians being in charge of the Jewish people, now it's the Persians. And the Persians are a little bit more lenient. A little bit. In fact, they say to the Israelite people, they say, hey, you know what? you're going to have religious freedom. Well, that's exciting. So, so, the, so they have religious freedom to worship God as they want. But they said, not only that, we're going to allow you to go back to your land. So the Persians are going to now allow the Israelite people to go back to the land um, of Israel 
and rebuild. And so they go back. So you can imagine the roller coaster of emotions. Because this is 70 years they're in Babylon, or at least the land of Babylon conquered by Persia. And so first they're conquered, and obviously very sad and grieved about that. But then they start to create a livelihood. I'm sure, no doubt, they have jobs. They have homes. Some of them have been born and raised there. And now they're being uprooted from there. Well, not uprooted, but they're deciding now, committed to God, and and they have faith that that God has a plan for them in the promised land. They go back. 50,000 of them go back. Not, Not all of them. 50,000 of them return. And when they return, they find that the Babylonians have totally wiped out everything in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem. All their homes totally leveled. All, even the temple of God, totally destroyed. So now there's another emotional roller coaster. They're excited to get back, but then all oh, everything's destroyed. So now, but a little bit excited because now they can rebuild, right? The first two years, they rebuild a beautiful foundation for God's temple. Absolutely beautiful foundation. And they're building their houses. There's excitement. Opposition comes again. The Samaritans. The Samaritans come up and they say, hey, you know what? We'll help you out. We'll help you out. But the people of Israel, understanding that God doesn't want them to mingle with other nations, they say no. The Samaritans didn't like that. So the Samaritans go and petition to the ruler of Persia and start complaining about the Israelites. And the Persians are convinced. So now there's opposition from the Samaritans and Persia about rebuilding the temple. So it ceases. It ceases. After two years of being in the land, they can no longer rebuild. Now as time goes by, the persecution wanes. It starts to go down. However, the construction of the temple doesn't continue. So this scene, 15 years after the people of Israel enter back into their land, 15 years after that, all of their houses are built. They've built beautiful houses. We'll learn that later. But the temple is still just a foundation. This is when God sends Haggai to the people of Judah, those 50,000 remnant that was sent from the Persian Empire. That's where we're at. That is where Haggai is sent. And I will say, if you're going to study this later, um, maybe missional family, I know some of our missional families are on break, uh, but if, even if you're studying it at home to yourself, Ezra chapter, I think I want, I want to say one through six, actually, um, sort of trickled in there. Um, Ezra one through six actually highlights, and in detail, um, the entire story of, of where Haggai is set. So if you want, if you want to read in more detail, Ezra chapter, chapters one through six, Um, highlights the story of what we're about to get into um, here in Haggai. So you can go there uh, in your own time. So that's where we are in the book of Haggai. Now as we get to the text, we have this context in mind. As we go through too, um, some of that context will be filled in as we go. I know I I skipped a lot, uh, but we'll fill in some of that as we go. But hopefully that gives us enough of a context to be able to understand where we are now. And as we go through the text, we're going to see characteristics of a servant of God who puts God first. Characteristics of a servant of God who puts God first. And hopefully, as we go through these characteristics, by the end of it, we'll be able to test ourselves to see where we are. Are we putting God's first? Are we putting God first? Is he our priority in our life? I'm going to admit something. Um, this sermon's more challenging or convicting Next week, if you want to be encouraged, please come again, because that's going to be encouraging. 
uh, Haggai chapter 2 is actually all an encouragement. Haggai chapter 1 uh, is the challenge that Haggai gives. Uh, there are actually four messages uh, that Haggai gives to the, to the people of Israel, which I didn't know um, when I was asked to do a four-week sermon series. Isn't that exciting? Four messages, four weeks, it works perfectly. Uh, the first message is all of chapter one. It's the challenge. I'm glad it's in that order, by the way, so we can end with some encouragement. Uh, but chapter one is the challenge. Chapter two is the encouragement. And we'll split chapter two three ways. But characteristics of a servant of God who puts God first. Starting in verse one. I know it was beautifully read before. We'll read, we'll read this again just so it's on our hearts and minds. Uh, Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, it reads like this. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of, the Hag- of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Josh- Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now, I think we wouldn't understand uh, the, the story of Haggai properly if we forget that the people to whom he's speaking, they made the difficult journey uh, from the land of Babylon to Israel. Um, and and it's, a, it's a pretty dangerous journey. They, they committed to that. They had homes and jobs, as we've already mentioned, in Babylon. Uh, most of them born and raised there. But they knew that God's purpose for his people involved the promised land. So by faith probably committed to God, committed to his will for their life, they make that trip. I think we should have that in mind as we go. And then shortly after returning, uh, they, they made an attempt to rebuild the temple, but opposition stopped them from doing that, as we've already discussed. And gradually, they lost their vision and, and drifted into a lifestyle where God's house was no longer the priority. And they probably viewed it as nice, maybe good, but not essential. Right? This, is, this is where they're at. And I think we, we need to see ourselves in this picture. If you know Christ, there was probably a time where you were zealous for him. Uh, you were committed to him right? when you first became saved. Uh, but, but after time, difficulty sets in. Maybe it's a personality crash, uh, clash with another Christian. Or you were disillusioned or disappointed by certain expectations you had of the Christian life. Whatever it might be, whatever trial it might be, um, meanwhile, life moved on. You started a career, a family, you had to pay bills. Uh, there were other demands on your time, and, and, and the Lord and work for him drifted into the background. You still attend church as often as you can, but it's become a slice of life, not the center of your life. Uh, you tell yourself that you just don't have the time to serve as others do. Maybe, maybe you have certain responsibilities and others that don't have those responsibilities, well, they can get involved. Without deliberately rebelling against God, we've possibly drifted into putting your house above God's house. And this is where we're going today. And, and let me clarify what I mean by God's house and I think what the text means by God's house. Of course, the text is talking about the temple in Jerusalem, um, which was the center for worshiping God. The temple of God. And although God is everywhere, the temple was the place where the, the presence of God dwelled in a special sense. Uh, he revealed his glory there. So to allow the temple to lay in ruins was to neglect the worship, the true worship of God. 
It was to have inverted priorities. And as one theologian puts it, um, in the final analysis, all inverted priorities are idolatry. They put creation before the creator. And on this side of the cross, God's temple is not a physical building. That's why we say it at the end of our service. Go be the church, right? Go, go, go be the church. His people, both individually and corporately, are the temple of God or the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So to make God's house the priority in life for us means to, number one, aim to make your body a fit dwelling for the Holy Spirit and to devote yourself to do the same. To devote, devote yourself to helping others do the same. And this is what it means for us. It means that your main goal is to know Christ at home in your heart by faith and to do all you can to help others do the same. This is what it means to put God's house before your house today. And now back to the text. Um, we, we should notice that Haggai is not accepting these words to be his own. He's not, he's not saying, this is what I say. Prophet Haggai says this. In fact, in two chapters, Haggai says 25 times, thus says the Lord. Or he says, um, the Lord spoke through the prophet Haggai. 25 times in two chapters. So obviously it's very important uh, to God through Haggai that the people of Israel know he's talking to them. Haggai's not talking to them, not anybody else. It's the Lord speaking. And what, what you get in chapter 2 is actually they obey. The Israelites obey because they've heard what the Lord has spoken. Spoiler alert, getting ahead of myself. But they, they eventually do obey because they've heard from the Lord and they listen to the Lord. And I think a good question for us is, do we listen when the Lord is speaking? Has it only become routine in your life to come to a church service to hear preaching, to go to missional family, to open up the Bible, read a few pages and move on, or, or to even wake up, open up your Bible 15 minutes, check it off a list and move on? Or do we really sit and listen to what the Lord is saying? Because a servant of God who, with proper priorities, takes God's word seriously. A servant of God with proper priorities takes God's word seriously. And now, now that we see the Lord is speaking, we now see the content of what he's saying to the people. And he says this. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. First of all, he says, these people. And if you've heard God speak to his people, you know that that's not the normal title he uses. He normally says, my people. So right off the bat, you can feel that, that, that God is displeased with his people. And I'm sure if you are uh, the people of Israel and you have longed for the presence of God, you've longed for him to be, be with you all this time. You've been, you've been in captivity. You've been away from God's presence for so long. And then God speaks to you and he says, these people... You can really feel that because you understand you're not acting like his people. You're acting like all the other nations. And that's exactly, I believe, the point God is making here. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So this is their excuse. It's just not yet time. It's not time. Uh, and God replies to their excuse in verse 4, and we'll see that up on the screen. And whenever there's dialogue between God and his people, 
It's always pretty interesting, and I think this is, is pretty interesting too. Verse 4, God says this. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, meaning the Lord's house, lies in ruins? Or in other words, you say it's not time for my house, but it seems like it's been time for your house. Or you say it's not time, but you have time. It's just not a question of time. It's a question of scheduling. It's a question of priorities. That's exactly what God understands as he responds here. And I think we hear this a lot, don't we? At least, well, I've said this a lot. I would be serving, but I'm just too busy right now. Or I would be spending more time with God, but I just can't in this season. There's too much for me to do. It's just not yet time. Or I would share my testimony with that friend or coworker, but I'm just waiting for God to give me a crystal clear sign to come down and say, do it now. Because it's just not yet time. And the people of Israel here, they're delaying what they know they should do. They, they know what the law says. They know what God's word has said. Uh, that God is supreme over all things. That, that God dwells in the temple. That God has a way in which he wants them to worship him. And that's the temple of God. Yet they delay. It's been at least 15 years. Yet they delay. Uh, they walk by the ruins. They, they've gotten used to this new normal of, of the foundation of God. Only the foundation being there. Totally in rubbles. Yet they delay. Just another time would be better than now. I have a conference call tomorrow I need to prepare for. I can't pray with my family. I have things I need to do. I, I can't do these things that I know God has called me to. I, I, it's just not time. Have you been delaying God's calling in your life? Uh, maybe it is leading your family in prayer or devotions or simply reaching out to that friend you know who needs encouragement. What are you delaying in your life? Uh, this was the excuse of the remnant of Israel. It's just not time. And a servant of God with proper priorities does not delay to obey. Servant of God with proper priorities does not delay to obey. And now as we continue in our text, we see here. Then the command of the Lord in verse 5. We see a command here. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much but harvested little. You eat but, but never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Uh, first, we see a very important phrase. It's consider your ways. It's used twice in the first chapter, and it's used in the second chapter, but a little different phraseology. Uh, consider your ways. And what it means is to stop long enough to evaluate your life. So consider your ways. Stop long enough to evaluate your life in light of what God has said. That's consider your ways. So the people of God are being commanded to take time to consider and evaluate themselves. Consider your ways. And I think, I think we should do the same. And I think now is a great time to do that. Maybe asking yourself, how are you spending your time? Now, these people, the people of God, had plenty of time, at least for themselves, but they didn't have time for God. Or, or how are you spending your money, which is really God's money, 
uh, the people of Israel claimed that they had their own ha- that they had to get their own houses built first, uh, but the, and they couldn't build his house yet. But that's twisted. Uh, God says that we are to give him the first fruits. Or what are your goals? Uh, what are you aiming at in life? Um, if you live to an old age, what do you, what do you want to look back on as far as accomplishments? Or what do you think about the most? Or what secretly occupies your thought life? Do you dream of getting rich, achieving fame, or, or some hobby and leisure pursuit? Or do you think about the Lord and what he wants you to do? Or who are your heroes and models? Who do you most admire? Are they godly? Who are your friends? Who do you spend time with the most? I think it's helpful to write down these goals, uh, to write down and evaluate your own life uh, based on what God has spoken, what he has said in his word, and see where you're at. Um, otherwise, we could drift off course and, 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 and miss proper priorities. A servant of God with proper priorities regularly evaluates their life. A servant of God with proper priorities regularly evaluates their life. And we also see that some of these people had a measure of material success, uh, material wealth. Um, They lived in fine paneled houses, as it says in verse 4. But the point of verses 6, and I think 9 through 11 as well, is even if you get what you're working for, such as these paneled houses, it never satisfies. Um, Solomon, a man who, who, who tried money, fame, knowledge, sensual pleasure, and everything a man could dream of, he wrote this in Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless, it's all meaningless. Vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. Uh, what good does it do to work hard all your life so that you can retire and enjoy the good things in life if a month later after your retirement you die of a heart attack? You've, you've put your wages into a purse with holes. What good does it do to, to build bigger barns to hold your increased wealth if God says, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you and now you will own, now who will own what you have prepared? That's Luke chapter 12, verse 20. And we know that history is filled with people who have gone on this pursuit of worldly success only to find too late Uh, that it was leaning against the wrong wall. Uh, Sadly, uh, some of these people have been God's people as well that have gone on this pursuit that have drifted downstream with the world. The truth is, only God can satisfy your soul. Only a relationship with him is truly satisfying to those deepest desires in our hearts. And Jesus promised, when we put God and his kingdom first, he gives us the material things that we need for the day. So a servant of God with proper priorities is truly satisfied and content. Truly satisfied and content. So from the first few verses, from verses 1 through 11 of Haggai, this is a picture of a servant of God with proper priorities. They take God's word seriously. They don't delay to obey. They regularly evaluate their life and they're truly satisfied and content because uh, they are living for Christ in Christ alone. And so now in verses 12 through 15, we get the results of prioritizing our life properly. Because in the book of Haggai, you get something unique in prophetic writing. You get obedience, which rarely happens in the history of Israel, at least biblically speaking. They respond in chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, by obeying God's command. 
So first, God gives a command to rebuild the temple. They don't really do it. Then God gives a warning. Then they're like, all right, we'll do it. And then they obey in verses 12 to 15. So what we see um, are results for prioritizing God in our life. Results of prioritizing God in our life. And I'll briefly go through this uh, with us today. The first one, when we prioritize God, he is pleased and glorified. When we prioritize God, he is pleased and glorified. I get this from verse 8. It says, this is a command from the Lord. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Um, As people of God, as those of us that want to be like Christ, uh, we want to please our Heavenly Father. How do we please our Heavenly Father? We live with proper priorities. We put Him first. And it's not just a generic put Him first. It's an intentional every aspect of our life. We got home life, family, finance, every aspect, work, all of them pointing to glorifying God and lifting Him up. When we do that, he is pleased and glorified. Uh, But also, when we prioritize God, his work gets done. Uh, In verse 14, the Lord stirred up the hearts of the leaders of the people of Israel. And verse 14 says, And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And also, you see something interesting. Now it says their God. Before God said these people. But there's been sort of a vocabulary change there. Ownership is there a little bit now. They're God because they've responded in obedience. So when we prioritize God, his work gets done. We're responsible for putting our priorities in the proper place. But when we do that, God gives us strength to labor. God gives us strength to work and serve him to get the work done. And thirdly, when we prioritize God, he truly blesses us. He truly blesses us. When the people obeyed, God sent his word to them. Uh, He said in verse 13, in verse 13, he says, I am with you. And the rest of the text is up there. The messenger of the Lord spoke to the people. The Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And we know that if God is with us, we have everything. If God is with us and for us, who can be against us? That's Romans chapter 8. And if God seems distant in your life, it could be, Because you have misplaced priorities in your life. They've gotten mixed up. And if you're desiring his presence in your life, an intimate relationship with him, more intimate relationship with him, then maybe evaluate your life. Consider your ways. Consider your priorities. And when we prioritize God, he truly blesses us. He's truly with us. So this is the challenge of Haggai. His work should be our priority. And when our priorities are set in their proper place, God blesses our labor in him. So we are to consider our ways. What is your priority in every aspect of life? Is it God's house or your own comfort and prosperity? And that's the challenge that Haggai gives in chapter 1. And next time we're going to see the encouragement Haggai gives in chapter 2. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up.